Good stuff. Well, hey guys, um, good to be with you here this morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff. For those of you that are online, we're really glad you're joining us too. And it is just fun to be here today. I'm just very thankful. I love this time of year. Like we're coming up like on Houdayville, the weather's cooling down. It's like, I don't know, it's like one of those things that you can take for granted. Like when I started losing my hair, I wasn't born like this. Sometimes my son will get mad at me if I'll say something about his hair. He'll be like, dad, would you? I'm like, dude, I wasn't like born Charlie Brown, okay? Um, But it's like, you don't think about, like your hair does a great job of doing three things for you that you can take for granted. One, it's sunblock. Two, when you're sweaty, it catches it. All right? And three, it keeps your head warm. So I like the fall because I don't really got to worry about any of those things very much for like about three months. So I'm very thankful for fall. Love that the weather's cooling down after today. It looks like it's going to be good. So, well, hey, we're, we're so glad that you're here today. Um, last week was a different week. Felt like the Lord really showed up in a powerful way. And um, let's just give the Lord a hand clap. We just serve a wonderful God and we want to honor him in everything. So a little housekeeping thing I, I got to say, we were talking about this as a staff. We believe that our lives are a gift from God, our families are, our marriages are, our kids are, our church is. Um, we want to uh, be great stewards as staff and leaders of this church so that people's tithes and offerings and generosity makes possible for but we also want to make sure that everyone is doing their part. And so there's a lot of people that benefit, not just from prayer in this building, but also from the usage of the facility. So I'm gonna ask you, if you use this place ever and you volunteer or you serve or you just come for an event, if you come in a door, please shut it behind you. If you make a mess, please clean up after yourself. Cleaning up after yourself is not doing, leaving dishes in the sink for someone else to clean up. I know it might sound whatever, but it's just, you know, that's just kind of grown up 101 stuff. You know, I don't, I don't want my teenagers to do that. So we certainly don't want to just do it because we're having a lot of stuff pile up where people just kind of leave piles of stuff. So if you can, if you think about it, just please, if you make a mess and I I understand people forget things, but um, you know, just make sure that you leave yourself enough time to clean up and lock up and turn lights out because those are those are also being good stewardship. Because honestly, when we leave food out, there's things called mice. We have 14 acres of property, a lot of that's grass and wooded, and um, they, they can smell that stuff. So let's make sure we just clean up and are taken care of so we don't get little critters and guests for the winter. So, um, so next week, we're going to start a new series called Jesus Everything. Jesus Everything, um, a long time ago, um, we got just this upload from Jesus of what it looked like to follow him as disciples. And what's the kind of all-encompass life? We've talked a lot about up, we've talked a lot about in, we've talked about out. What's it look like when all those cylinders click together and on all thrusters, we go after Jesus with everything? So we're gonna be talking about that for six weeks. Um, and I'm excited to start that next Sunday. Um, so a long time ago, my wife got a prophetic word she got a prophetic word from a man and the word was, the counterfeit will come before the real. And I'm not gonna go into the definition of that for, for her, but that's a word that's kind of stuck with me, just that little line, like the counterfeit came before the real. And before I came on staff here, I worked at a, at a bank here in town, West Banco Bank, 
and I was in the secured credit. Um, and, and what we did is we had to take a lot of courses on stuff that has to do with banking regulations. One of the four, first courses I had to take was on how to distinguish real money from counterfeit money. How to distinguish real from counterfeit. And there's a bunch of stuff, like there's a security thread, there's a Federal Reserve indicator, serial number, portrait, there's watermarks, there's color shifting ink, there's a back plate number, there's check face plate numbers, there's all these different things on money that they put on there that the people who design money. So it's real, because people try to counterfeit money. Because money's valuable. So there's a lot of bad guys out there and the bad guys generally are a step ahead of the good guys. Um, but like the good guys have gotten really good at making money that's hard to be duplicated without a Federal Reserve press. And so money, you, and even in the bank, when you're holding these dollars, like the bigger the dollar bills, they, they have a different feel than like a $5 or a $1 or a $20. Like once you get 50, 100, they, they feel different. And they're supposed to, because no one's counterfeiting $1 bills. No one's counterfeit. Every time, every time my mom comes over, like, like my little girl, she'll give them a $1 bill. It's like, you know, people are giving out $1 bills, but people, you know, $100 bills, that's another story, right? And it's really important in that industry to know how to detect the counterfeit from the real. What's at the core of a counterfeit? The core of a counterfeit is it's not real. It doesn't have all the markings necessary for uh, reproducibility, for fruitfulness, and really for potency. See, the, it, in the end, it'll never be a fruitful thing. So you might get paid in a $50 bill counterfeit. Next time you go spend that, someone knows what they're doing. Like, dude, what are you doing? You trying to rob us? Like, no, someone gave me this money. Like, sorry, man, you got counterfeit money. And it's very important to know in the kingdom, the enemy of the enemy of best is often good. And the enemy loves to counterfeit. That's his plan, that's his MO. And we live in an age where there's so much teaching, preaching of good stuff, but there's a lot of what I believe counterfeit gospels out there where people water it down, where people dumb it down to consumerism or checklists or the gospel of the good person that's so permeating in our culture, or how much do I have to give Jesus? You know, like, like it, it's like, like there's like, okay, you can go this far, then that's it. Like we, we, we live in a, in a really a, a, a culture devoid of challenge. You see a lot of kids running around schools. I mean, I couldn't, I used to substitute teach. I would not want to teach now. Teachers, it's very hard. I mean, kids can come at you, cuss you, yell at you, they can basically do everything but stab you. And you just gotta be like, hey, Billy, you're a good boy. You're a good boy, lunch is in a few minutes, man. It's like, we live in a culture so devoid of challenge that it's permeated even the systems and it feels like the inmates are running the asylums, doesn't it? You look at, we have a very unparented world and there's a lot of stuff, there's this counterfeit grace culture out there that cheapens the word of God, that cheapens the truth of God and there's stuff that's grown up amongst us that looks good, sounds good, feels good but if you do the, do the sniff test, there's some counterfeit stuff out there. So Lord, I pray that you would help us become proficient in battling things that, Lord, that aren't just of this world, Lord. We, we have an enemy who's crafty, who masquerades as an angel of light, who wants to make things look good, 
and think it's good that you just let people do whatever they want. Or people, if it feels good, do it. Or if it's just like, you know, if that's, if that's like you're, you gotta be true to your heart. All these things, these things that sound good, Lord, but um, when we look at them up against your gospel, they're half truth. So Lord, help us to be spiritually minded people that aren't so easily offended, but people who go to prayer and seek you and everything. In Jesus' name, amen. And like I said, so if the enemy of great, if the enemy of great is good, I think the enemy of truth is half truth. See, the problem with the half truth is half truth is a whole lie. And God treats them the same. So whether we embellish or we minimize or we don't ask, don't tell, we, we have a culture that um, really is not ingrained in telling the truth and being people of the truth, being people of integrity. And really, Satan was the first one to do this, right? Like Adam and Eve. Do you know Satan didn't tell um, Eve a whole lie? Because God said, the day you eat of that, you'll surely die of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, Eve's like, like, we're not supposed to eat of that one. The serpent said to her, he's like, will you surely die? Basically, like today you'll really die. And she didn't physically die that day. So he kind of told her the truth. Like, you won't really die today. But what he didn't tell her is everything would start dying that day. That minute, everything would start dying. And it, it actually may have been better for her and Adam to just died that day. Because everyone after him had this proliferation of a sin condition that was way bigger than if they just fell off the wagon that day and, you know, checked out. So he told a half-truth. A half-truth was a whole lie. And at the start of the garden, you know, and so like the garden, it's an interesting place to start. It's where humankind started. And so Jewish society was a very agro society. It was an agro world. Really, it was an agro world up until about the, um, you know, the first 20 or 30 years of the 20th century. We lived in a very agrocentric world. It wasn't really until the last 150 years that we've seen cities grow in mass like they have in the urbanization. So we've lived in a very agriculturally based world till, you know, around the time of, you know, like the, kind of like the industrial age is when the world started changing and we became less agro and people started from scattered, more rural communities into more clustered cities all over the globe. And so a lot of the Bible is written with agricultural um, epithets or undertones or stories or imagery. And today we're going to read a story that's of that same vein. So the Bible starts with a garden and we're going to kind of read about a field or a farm today. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24 and we'll, we'll read through verse 30 and then verses 36 to 43. Jesus presented Another parable of them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while, men were, but while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, there also tares became evident. Next slide. The slaves, a landowner came and said to him, sir, did you not grow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. Slaves, 
said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? Meaning, do you want us to go and weed this field? But he said, no, for a while you're gathering up the tares, you may also uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares, bind them in bundles and burn them up. But then gather the wheat into my barn. Go to the next verse, verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. The disciples came to him. He is Jesus. So we read the first part. Jesus gave this discourse publicly. And then the next five verses, it's on to another thing. And then they jump back after that event. And the disciples said, tell us what this parable means, okay? And so he left the crowds and went to the house. And the disciples came and said, explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. And he said, he being Jesus, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Son of man is a name he called himself. It's, it's in Ezekiel, it's Daniel. It was this kind of prophetic name to the one who would be like a deliverer or like the Messiah of the world. And the field is the world. He says, so I'm the sower of the seed. The field is the world, the world that I gave you. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. Sons means sons and daughters. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks and all those who commit lawlessness. And will throw them into the furnace of the fire. In that place there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the interesting thing about wheat and tares, do we got a picture of it? <clears throat> that little picture? That. So wheat and tares actually look about the exact same. It's when they're growing, they're the same color. You ever seen, seen like a puppy or like a little kid? That when they're a kid, they got like blonde hair. Then when they're older, their hair's darker. Or like a puppy can, you know, kind of change colors or some animals do that. So when wheat and tares are growing up, they look the same. And then when they're fully grown, the tares are this darker rye, kind of barley, buckwheat sort of color. And so they grow up together. So in this story, Jesus is telling about wheat and tares and they grow up and they're like, well, should we get them all out? Back then they didn't have stuff like Roundup or they didn't have stuff like um, agro, you know, all, all these agro sciences like we do now. So they didn't have a way of mitigating all the weeds. And the guy said, hey, listen, if you pull up all the weeds now, you'll destroy the whole crop because it was very difficult even for the trained eye to tell the wheat and the tear apart because the wheat and the tear in their infancy have the same look. And so the tear was very crafty. It was a very crafty plan of the enemy to grow up alongside of the fruitfulness of this plant. And really wheat's one of the most important things in the world. And let's, let's not uh, like be confused. Like the war going on over like in Russia and Ukraine, a lot of that has to do is Ukraine is a major provider of wheat. And so the world is, there's, there's a lot of the world holding its breath because like the Ukraine is a big provider of things like wheat and gasoline and things like that. And so Russia, there, there's, there's stuff going on. There's powers colliding where these two nations supply lots of grain to the world. And so those two nations really being cut off from the rest of the world is part of why we're seeing food prices 
skyrocket. Why things are going crazy is because they're suppliers of something elemental. Pretty much everyone in the world every day eats one of a couple things. They eat wheat or they eat corn. Wheat, beans, corn. Those are kind of the staple foods and rice are the things that everyone eats. And wheat is eaten by more people than maybe any other product on planet earth I learned the other day. Wheat's in everything. And wheat is essential, especially to an agriculturally based society. Wheat is, um, it was elemental. Jesus calls himself the bread of life. And God provided bread for his children in the desert. Like God fed his children and would constantly these isms about bread. And wheat and tares, like I said, looked the exact same. And it was a staple crop. Um, it was used even in offerings, like in First Chronicles 21, 23, that people would give a grain offering to the Lord. This was a pleasing offering. Even King Solomon in the highly romantic Song of Solomon or Song of Psalms used wheat to qualify his love. Wheat provides nourishment for the masses. And tares are mentioned in the Bible specifically in the parable of the tares right here. And a parable is a story or an illustration used to uh, tell a deeper, bigger truth. The word the King James uses is transliterated, transliterated zizania. Zizania, which um, is the Greek word that it translates that out of, is actually for, um, refers to the Hebrew word, which was darnel, D-A-R-N-E-L which is darnel is a type of ryegrass that resembles wheat in the early stages. And in some versions of the Bible, tares is replaced with a looser term, weeds. Anyone this time of year, you go out to your grass and you just see like little things all over that look like grass, but they're not your grass. So the whole spring, these things are growing and it just looks like you're mowing your grass, but towards about August, September, these things have taken root and now they're not your grass. And you can tell, right? That's what this kind of was. Um, so wheat is processed into flour, malt, semolina, growth, uh, bran, um, and many more products for human consumption. That's what wheat. Tares are also known as false wheat or bastard wheat, they called them like in the Hebrew language. They were considered a bastard wheat because they were fruitless and they were just pitiful and they have a terrible taste and they're actually poisonous to people. The seeds contain a uh, soporific poison. So you can actually die from eating too many tares, but they look like wheat. And tares in this story represent people or things of the world where darkness looks like light where darkness looks like light. And then Jesus, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about, he talks about like, if the light inside of you is dark, how great is that darkness? See friends, we're, we're in a world that preaches a lot of half-truths. We have a lot of things that masquerade as angels of light, that look good, act good, seem good. But when we really look at it and we compare it to the Lord, as these things are growing up, a lot of times we're, we're really guilty, I think, as people, as we just look at the fruit of things. 
like a lot of our medical world, a lot of times is a lot of times they're, they're, they're treating symptoms, not causes. And we live in a world that treats symptoms, not causes. But the thing with Jesus is, and he's talking about here, don't look at the fruit, look at the root. If you plant pumpkin seeds, you always get pumpkins. You plant peas, you, the seeds of peas, you get pea pods. You plant bananas, you get bananas. And I think we live in a world where we think we can plant things of our own accord. We can plant some of our likes and some of Jesus's, and we think we're gonna get the fruitfulness in our lives that he's looking for. And one of the interesting things about, um, about tares is they grow up, but they're about eight to 10 inches shorter than the wheat when it's all said and done. The color's different, they're smaller, and they're toxic. See, this little bit of yeast can go a long way through the batter. And I think um, the stuff of tares is toxic. And what Jesus is really talking about is this pervasive lie and these diseases in the world. And really, when I, I, I mean like the, like the sin disease, the truth disease, the love disease that we have. You know, like the Beatles were singing about love a long time ago. All we need is love. Love is all we need. Well, there's part of that's true, but it says God is love. So it's not love is what we need. It's Jesus who's the source of love. So they only went so far. You know, it's like all, there's a lot of these things that go so far. And we really, we have a world right now with all these movements that, I've, and I've said it before, are asking the right questions. The problem is they're giving the wrong answers. They're given the wrong answers. Some of the CRT and some of these other things that are out there are asking the right questions. They're just giving poor answers that aren't biblical truth. They're not giving biblical truth. And when you get that, you're always going to get, if, if we take worldly concepts and, and, and we try to apply them and we try to take worldly doctrine and dogma and ethos and ways and we try to apply them to the kingdom, we're always gonna come up short. Because holiness is really important to Jesus and holiness really just means purity. Purity doesn't mean, um, in a sense, like, like God, like purity means just unsullied uncompromised, undiluted, nothing else added in. So what Jesus wants in our lives is this Jesus everything concept we're gonna talk about is Jesus wants lives where nothing else is added in. And that might sound like a lot, like I gotta give him everything, yes. And it's not a got to, it's a get to. Because really, if you don't realize it yet, and if I don't realize it yet, that everything in my life is touched by the sin condition, we're blinded by this world. And maybe there's tares growing up in our lives that are gonna overtake our crop. If we don't realize, if you don't realize the way you parent, the way you grandparent, the way you work, the way you talk, the way you think, the way your family was, the way you um, invest, the way you spend, the way you save, the way you share, if you don't think every part of your life has the capacity to, to grow up in the darkness or is currently touched by the darkness, I'm sorry, that's, we, we live in a fallen world. On the day we eat it, we'll die. And it wasn't just like, 
we would die at that minute, but we are all several thousand years down the road. Every part of our world is broken. That's why last week, Nicodemus, how can a man unless he's born again? I can't go back to my mom's belly. She's five two, I'm six eight. Like, how does that work? Jesus is like, dude, if you don't get this earthly stuff, you're never gonna get the spiritual life. But you have to be born again. Meaning that old life has got to die, friends. If you want the life of Christ, if you wanna have your old life and be just like your friends or just like people in the world, those are the terrors that are coming up in your life that are gonna choke out the life of Christ. And when Jesus comes at the end of the age, and make no mistake, he is. We will all, do you know everyone will face Jesus in one of two ways. We'll either face him when we naturally die or he will come back before we die and everyone will give an account for what they let him do in their lives, everyone. And what he's gonna look at is he's gonna say, were we wheat or were we tares? See, because like the fruit of tares is obvious, it's toxic, it's sinful, it's dark, it's perverse, it's yucky. Paul talks about it, uh, Galatians chapter five says this. Galatians chapter five talks about, um, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't do what the sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is, is just the opposite of what the spirit wants, okay? And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. Like everywhere in our lives, do you know, everywhere in your life, that the enemy, no matter how sanctified you are, how long you've walked with Jesus, or maybe you don't know him, everywhere in your life there's a real enemy who plants stuff around you, in you, through you, who wants to destroy the harvest of God in your life. He doesn't want you, he wants you to die on the vine or die before you get to the vine. Like He came to steal, steal kill, and destroy. He has no good intentions. There's a spiritual world that I think in a very empirical, rationalistic age that we've missed a lot as a culture. Because we can quantify everything by the scientific method, or so we think. That we've missed so much of this spiritual battle and right under our noses, the enemy has been planting terrors all over the place. All over the place. And the rest of it says this in Ephesians 5. He says these two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under the obligation of the law of Moses. Paul says when you walk in the Spirit, the law of Moses was that everyone is guilty. Everyone is guilty. You're all toast unless you keep the law perfectly. No one could ever do that. So here comes Jesus. Jesus breaks on the scene, is born of a virgin, um, part man, part God, grows up, lives a sinless life, dies on our behalf, and thus fulfills the law. Adam, the first man, was perfect because he was born from God, messed it up. Well, the second Adam, Jesus comes and Jesus fixes it. But the only way, Jesus says, unless you're born again, there's no other way to do this, Nicodemus. Unless we're born again, there's no other way. There's, if you've heard of Jesus and you don't... Um, if you don't receive him, that's, that's the wager. The sin of the Old Testament really is unbelief in God. The sin of the New Testament is unbelief in Jesus. And so when we don't believe in Jesus, 
we're gonna be guilty. And part of believing in Jesus is taking his word truly, because he says, I am this. I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He says, I am Tanakh, when he says that. When he was given that statement, John chapter 14, he wasn't saying that, um, it wasn't some great evangelistic claim. He's saying, I am Tanakh. And that was the, and we learned this today, me and the kids, I, I, I showed them a video uh, of the Bible project and it tells like what like the Tanakh is. Have you ever heard of that? It's the combination of three Hebrew words of the Torah and the law and the prophets. I think, uh, I can't remember the words, so I'm not gonna hack them up. My, my Hebrew is rusty, but it was like the combination. So Jesus was saying to the Jews, he said, hey, if you're looking for the answers, I'm the Tanakh. I'm the word made flesh. I'm the way. That was a euphemism for the Torah. I'm the truth. That was a euphemism for the prophets. I'm the life. That was the history books. He's like the full embodiment of the, of, of, of the Godhead lives in me. That's why he said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. If you don't take all of me, not just the parts you like, you can't have this. Because the God who gave so much would not demand so little of us. And the, rest of Ephes- uh, uh, the rest of Galatians 5 says this, when you were followers of your old desires of your sinful nature, the results were very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful desires, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and the like. And one of the words where it says here is witchcraft. It says in witchcraft. Witchcraft is the Greek word. If you're wondering if you should be doing recreational drugs, the word witchcraft is pharmalagia. That's the word for, like, they were doing drugs back then too. These are the works of the flesh. They're obvious. He says, let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because it's the tares. Because we, we just think, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just now and then I'm gonna do this stuff. I'm just gonna look at a little crap on my phone or I'm just gonna, sometimes I just get angry. I'm an intense guy. Or, oh, it's just, just a woman walking by. I just gave her another look. Or, oh, I don't drink that much. Or, oh, it's just a little, little hit at a party. It doesn't really matter. Or, that's my money. I, I earned it. I deserve that. Or, I, I was up late. I can really treat you however I want because I'm tired. Or, uh, I, you know, I just don't feel like it. I don't really want to work. I mean, there's like government handouts that I can get. I don't want to go to work. I'm different than everybody else. I shouldn't have to do that. All this stuff, this compromising, a half-truth is a whole lie. And he says, those who participate in this way of living will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says that you won't. Because at the end of the age, do you know Jesus is not blinded by the sin in the world? Do you know that? Do you know that when there's evil people, does anyone ever get ticked when you watch wicked people raise to power? You're like, why is it always the dirtbags and the slime balls? Do you know the Lord's not caught off guard by that? Do you know he wasn't caught off guard by COVID? Do you know that the industries and the mechanisms and the machinations in the world, Jesus is not caught off guard by any of it and he's not aloof either. But he lets things grow. He lets things grow. 
And he'll let stuff in our lives grow because he's never gonna force us to love him back. He'll never force you to follow him. He'll never force you to come with him. He'll never force you into his family. He'll never make you do something you don't wanna do because he's not like that. He's a lover. Remember, he loves. He is love. And love doesn't do that. Love doesn't have to coerce, cajole, manipulate, conjure, beg. Jesus will drop the mic and say, if you want that, that's what it's gonna be. Don't mistake God's silence for him not speaking to you. I was talking to one of my best friends the other day and it just came out of my mouth and I'm like, whoa, that's exactly this message. Like, don't mistake his silence for not speaking to you. Because oftentimes, we're like, well, Lord, give me something fresh. Give me something new. And he's like, listen, I told, you to, I told you to quit being a jerk. I told you to zip it up and get some help and be faithful to your spouse. He said, I told you to pay your taxes. I told you to be integrous. I told you to go be part of a local body, not just when you feel like it. Friends, do you know Jesus means for us to be part of a body? And if you're not regularly part of a house group or a local church fellowship, there's sin in that. He told us to do it. Anything he tells us to do, friends, that's why sometimes people will get upset. Like, man, you just get upset and you, some of the stuff you say is like mean. It's like, no, this, it's, he says to do it. I just have to. If I'm up here feeding a flock and there's a lot of pastors out there, I'm gonna call a lot of them out. There are watchmen on the walls who are giving people just big old cow piles of information that they think is the gospel. Because they don't wanna tell the whole gospel. You don't wanna tell this stuff. And I'm not some hero. Like, listen, I'm not a hero. I'm referring to the one that is, and I'm just obeying him. So if I got to talk about the love, I got to talk about the truth. And if I got to talk about the grace, I also have to talk about the other side of grace. If we don't choose to receive that grace, there's two sides of this coin. And it's not fun. It's not comfortable. It's even hard living in, isn't it? Like, listen, I'm, I'm not good at a lot of stuff in here. I'm not good at a lot of stuff in here. But I want my whole life to be surrendered to Jesus. Every part. He has jurisdiction to all of it. And if we're gonna be a Jesus everything people, and that's the only way to do it. That's the only way. It's the only way to do it is all in. But listen to this. Anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God, but... The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passion and desires of the sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. The same way Jesus went, that's our way. He said, unless you come after me and you take up your cross and you die daily, you can't be my disciple. And the thing about tares are, tares are easy to tell. If you're wondering if someone's a godly teacher or someone worth investing in, if it's a person in the kingdom that you want to lead you, maybe a disciple maker, here's the thing about tares that are real obvious. Tares are disobedient to the word of God. They'll constantly make excuses. Oh, that's for them. Or, oh, I'm not there yet. Maybe I'll be there someday. Maybe I'll come. That's a tear. That's a terror. That's a disobedient life. No one's perfect, but people, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you're one of those people, or maybe you're around those people. People who are 
constantly regurgitating excuses of why they can't obey. Oh, well, if you were married to who I'm married to, you'd get angry too. Jesus says, he doesn't say depending on who you're married to. He says, don't get angry. Don't be, don't, in your anger, don't sin. Don't, don't be rough. Don't be cruel. Don't be a name caller. Don't be sarcastic. Don't mistreat people. These are the things. And then what he says is do, not just don't. He says, love the people around you. I've got more than enough for you to love the people around you. I've got more than enough for you to receive all I have. I've got more than enough for you to walk through that hard situation you're in faithfully and bear the fruit I've called you to. Because I want you to be a wheat, not a tear. And you know, Jesus, all of us were tares. And until his life came into us, we were born again. Then he can transform us into something else. He's the only one who can do this. Terrors are pretenders. They fiend a type of spirituality, but they're worldly. You've been around people that can talk the talk and have the erudite, hoity-toity, you know, theological Christianese, but then when you're around them, they're carnal. They're arrogant. They're unteachable. They're rarely or ever wrong. People that are terrors are rarely ever wrong. They can be leaders, they can be great people that seem like God's put a lot on their shoulders. But, and they, cause they grow up amongst the wheat and they're almost as tall. So there, there can be people in our lives, in our midst that are the type of, that lead. And we have leaders all over the country and the world. Every, I, I, there's this ministry publication I subscribe to every week. I'm getting something's so-and-so was caught in sex rings. So-and-so was caught in adultery. So-and-so extorted money. So-and-so had his hand in the cookie jar. I mean, it's, it's horrible. People can grow, you can be a leader and you can be influenced and have this toxicity mar your leadership, your legacy, your family. I think tares, friends, focused way more on being saved than they do on being sanctified. The Bible says way more on being sanctified than it does on being saved. Being saved is just walking in the front door. Sanctification is the process of becoming like Jesus. That's what discipleship is. Jesus gave his life for people. Because remember, he'd tell people, you're not far from the kingdom. Or he'd say, you can't come anymore. Jesus' baseline was not who said yes on that day. It was who would go all the way with him. Jesus is look, Jesus everything sort of discipleship is people who say, I'll go all the way. And a lot of his word doesn't tickle our, our ears. And I'm not saying it's all gotta be hard because it's glorious. Like the fruit, the fruit of the spirit is love. It's joy, it's peace, it's patience. Like when we say yes, when we say no to the stuff that's encumbered us and we say yes, how about an anxiety-free life? How about a life where you can lay your head down at night and your head's not going a million miles a minute? Or how about when you used to be violent and angry, now you're like, you can just have the calm of an angel. Or how about maybe where you used to be stingy, you can just live like this. Like that's the fruit of the spirit. So he's not just saying, say no in a vacuum to all this stuff. What he's saying is say yes to. And the reason alcohol, drugs, that he would not have us be into, and I'm not against alcohol, but drunkenness is a sin. Okay, let me distinguish here. The reason he doesn't want other things controlling us. He's like, let me, let me have that wheel. 
Watch what I do if I control that part of your life that you've, that you've kind of medicated with that thing. Watch what I do when I have that. Maybe out of that very thing you've been trying to hide, watch how I shine through it, where it was deplorable, embarrassing. You covered it, you stood on it, you buried it. He's like, maybe let me shine my light on it and watch what I do and watch what looks like a put down becomes a platform. That's what God wants to do in our lives. So the things that he's calling us to say yes to, we can never get to if we don't say no to worldly desires. We can't. Because he says that the wheat and the tear at the end of the age, he'll bring the sickle and he'll come over it all. And the last thing is about toxic tears is, it, is, it, is about tears. They tend to be more toxic, toxic folks who cannot discern spiritual things. We're gonna wrap up there. And you don't, you, we're gonna, people are gonna come up and pray. And if you want prayer for any of this, actually, I'm just gonna have everyone just stand up with me today because I think all of us at times, anyone ever disobedient to the word? Half lies, whole truth, you know, half, half lies, whole lie. Anyone ever, anyone ever a pretender? Oh, Jesus, I love you. And then someone pulls out in front of you out here on Camp Burns. You, <laughs> or as soon as someone says something you don't like, you gotta like get all defensive. Anyone ever arrogant and unteachable? Someone brings something to you and you're like, well, you. Anyone ever focus more? Well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven, I got fire insurance. Then they are becoming like Jesus. I know I've been guilty of that. Anyone ever tend to be toxic for other people when you're having a bad day? Or I've heard people say, oh, I'm barely Christian before I have a cup of coffee, you know, sort of thing. Like, if at any point in your day you need something to become Christian, you're toxic. Just at least part of your day, okay? So what does holiness look like? The fruit, the wheat that grows is the fruit of the spirit. And so just put your hands out and just say, Jesus, help me discern what you're doing in my life. Pull the terrors away from me. Help me to grow up into the fertile field that you planned my life to be. I love you, Jesus. I receive you today, Holy Spirit. Come minister to me and through me. In Jesus' name. Well, friends, go and be loved this week. I love like the term, the term beloved. It just means beloved. You be loved very much by Jesus and by me. And just know that you are special to God and he has good things for us, but it's gotta come on his terms. So I hope you have an amazing week and you go and sin less this week and uh, walk in the power of God. We love you. Have a great week.